Great to see you. Thanks for being here. We want to welcome everyone who's worshiping with us in person here and also all those folks who are joining us online. Thanks for tuning in. We are always grateful to have you as a part of our service, wherever you might be. And we always want to welcome any guests that are with us on the weekend. If you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Romans. Let me hear your pages turning to the book of Romans and the 12th chapter. And just hold that ready for a few minutes. This is week two of our Ask Me Anything series, and I want to begin with an apology because as we kicked this off last week, uh, there were several times when I said this was a five-week series when it's actually a four-week series. It runs through the month of June, and somehow I had myself convinced that there were five Sundays in the month of June, and that's not the case, so I apologize for that. The honest truth is, I don't know if you're like me, but I have a hard time knowing what day of the week it is. It seems like ever since COVID came, I have a hard time knowing what day of the week it is. You're just lucky if I show up here when I'm supposed to. Now, as we continue the series, uh, our message this weekend is going to be a little bit different because what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to address the question, do I believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God for all matters of life and living? And that wasn't a question that was asked. But here's where that comes from. There were so many questions asked that come down to this one issue. Do I believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God for all matters of life and living? And I'm phrasing the question like that because this is something that needs to be personal for all of us. In fact, what I want to do, and I'll do this in every service, is I want you to read that question out loud with me off the screen. I want to hear your voices. I want you to read it with me exactly the way it's written. Here we go. Do I believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God for all matters of life and living? Thank you for that. The idea to share a message series called Ask Me Anything is not original with me or with Mount Pleasant Christian Church. It's been done lots of times by lots of different churches and lots of different pastors. And so just out of curiosity, this past week, I did a little internet search to look at some of the questions other pastors have answered in a similar series. I just got online and I Googled things like sermon series called Ask Me Anything or sermon series called You Ask For It or hot topics or something like that. And I looked at more than a dozen different examples. And if I were to be honest with you, I will tell you, I was a little surprised by the different questions that were covered because to tell you the truth, they were pretty simple, pretty basic. At least the ones I looked at, I'll qualify it like that. And my first thought was, what's wrong with these churches? Because there's nothing difficult about the questions that are being answered. And I'm talking about questions like, and please don't misunderstand me or read more into what I'm trying to say, but questions like how to deal with stress or how to find your purpose or how to know God or how to grow closer to God. And so my first thought was, what's wrong with these churches? My second thought was, what's wrong with my church? Because I received around 70 questions and none of them were simple. Your questions dealt with very serious issues, including all the social issues that are dividing our country today. There are a lot of questions about 
LGBTQ issues. You didn't submit questions like, how do I become a better Christian? You submitted questions like, how do I understand and live out my faith in the middle of a world that has been broken and mangled by sin? Those are the questions that you submitted. And the only way we can answer any of those questions is by turning to the Bible and acknowledging together that it is the divinely inspired Word of God and the only source of authority for life and living. And so that's what I want to talk to you about for a while in this service because the conviction of my heart is and has always been that the Bible answers the questions of life. And while I don't think there will be anyone that will go home from any of our services this weekend and say, that's the best sermon I've ever heard my pastor deliver, I hope that you'll go home and say, that's the most heartfelt sermon I've ever heard my pastor deliver. And that brings us to Romans chapter 12. So if you've got your Bibles open there and you're able, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. And this will be the case every single week. We won't be able to look at just one passage of Scripture to answer our question. We'll look at a variety of them, but we'll have a foundational passage. And for us this weekend, it's one single verse, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. I've got it on the screen from my NIV Bible. Let's read it together. Let me hear your voices. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask for God to bless the reading of his word. This is a powerful verse of scripture and one that we need to talk about, one that we need to understand. When Paul writes, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, the key word for us there is the word conform. In the original language of the New Testament, that's the Greek word sukematizo. And the simple definition, it's not really simple, but the basic definition is an outward expression that does not reflect what is within. That's what Paul means when he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Let me say it again, an outward expression that does not reflect what is within. Now, in the J.B. Phillips translation of the New Testament, that verse is written like this, the first part of the verse anyway, where my NIV Bible says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. The J.B. Phillips translation says, do not let, or rather don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. That's how it's rendered there. New Testament scholar Kenneth Wiest paraphrases the first part of Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 like this. He writes, stop assuming an outward expression which is patterned after this world, an expression that does not come from nor is representative of what you are in your inner being as a regenerate child of God. In other words, what Paul is saying is stop saying you are a fully devoted follower of Christ and then go out and live like the rest of the world. I might add, and believe what the rest of the world believes. That will never be the will of God for anyone who claims to be a person of faith. Never. To say you believe one thing and live 
in a completely contradictory way will never be the will of God for anyone. One last thing I would say about at least the first part of Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, and that's this. When Paul uses the word world there, when he says uh, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, and you might want to write this down in the margin of your Bible, a better word would be the word age. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this age. And when he uses that word world, which is better translated age, he's referring to this present sinful age in this current world system that we are a part of that is dominated by Satan, who is the God, little g, the God of this world, where he continues to peddle his lies and deception. That surrounds us every single day. And if you don't recognize that, then you're not paying attention. Here's the bottom line. If you are a genuinely redeemed child of God, then stop embracing the lies of this world that are perpetuated by our enemy, the devil, who is the enemy of your soul. Now, that's the first part of the verse. He goes on in the latter part. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world or this age. We just talked about that. And then he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then and only then will you be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, so how do you stop conforming to the pattern of the world? You stop conforming to the pattern of the world by making sure that your life has been transformed first by the renewing of your mind. If I were to put that in my own words, Paul is saying that you stop conforming to the pattern of this world. You stop conforming to the belief system of this world and whatever the latest talking head says is right or wrong and you live a life that reflects the truth that your mind is saturated and controlled by the truth of God's word. First and only. First and only. And so if you are a genuinely committed follower of Jesus, you will make it your goal to think biblically in every area of life. And there are no exemptions. And that's what we need to do if we want to know the answers to our questions about life. One final thing before we move on. Don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at me for believing in the authority of God's word. Don't get mad at me because I believe the Bible is the revelation of God to man that reveals the heart and the will of God for man. What do you believe about the Bible? I mean, really, honestly, not just intellectually, but practically, what do you believe about the Bible? Don't get mad at me because I believe that revisionist or progressive interpretations that change the meaning of the text by taking liberty with rules of interpretation change what God says because they don't. Don't get mad at me because I think arguments like you're on the wrong side of history, but that's not fair. Don't change what God says because they don't. 
And don't get mad at me because accusations and labels like intolerance and bigoted and hateful don't change what God says because they don't. There's a quote that I've been familiar with for a long time, although I honestly don't know where it came from. I tried to find out this week, but I couldn't find where it originated. But I'll put the quote up on the screen. Here it is. Truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. Now, honestly, I I think that's a little harsh. I do. I think it's a little harsh to say someone someone hates the truth. That's, That's not always the case. Sometimes it can be the case. I believe that to be true, but it's not always the case. But you could rephrase it and still get the same meaning. You could say truth sounds like hate to those who don't know the truth. You could say truth sounds like hate to those who ignore the truth. You could say truth sounds like hate to those who don't want to accept the truth. All of those iterations would be correct around this one statement. There's an application for all of those versions in the world today, even sometimes among Christians. But in the middle of all the confusion and in the middle of all the debate about right and wrong, people of faith have got to take a stand for the truth of God's word. Look at this quote on the screen from a book called Right Thinking in a World Gone Wrong. If Christians are going to live in keeping with who they are as children of God, they must live according to the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. No other source of wisdom or moral insight will do. By definition, I love this, by definition, they are people of the book. The book, not just on Sundays, but on every day of the week. And so I go back to that question that I said all of us need to answer. Do I believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God for all matters of life and living? When you read about Jesus in the Gospels, one of the things you will notice about him is the way people responded to his preaching and his teaching. And it was a common response. Let me show you an example on the screen from Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 through 29. This is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. It may be familiar with you. It reads like this. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had, say that word with me, authority. And not as their teachers of the law. In fact, if you had to choose one word that described the preaching and the teaching ministry of Jesus, you could probably choose the word authority. Because that was what marked Jesus' teaching and his preaching. Here's another example. This is in Mark chapter 1. Verses 21 and 22, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had, here it is again, authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now, in that story, in Mark chapter 1, right after, right after that verse, there was a demon-possessed man who entered in the synagogue. And in Mark chapter 1 and verse 24, this is what happened. He said, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Even the demons knew who Jesus was. 
Mark chapter 1, verses 25 through 27, Jesus responds, Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. There it is again. He even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. That same story is recorded in Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 4. Now, I could give you lots of other examples where that same statement is made about Jesus, or at least some version of that same statement is made about Jesus' preaching and teaching. But let me just cut to the chase. Where did Jesus get his authority? Where did this authority that he spoke with and taught with, where did it come from? Well, Jesus answered that question multiple times in the Gospel of John. In John 7, 16, Jesus says, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. John 8, 26, Jesus says, I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. John chapter 12, verses 49 and 50, Jesus said, For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. John 14, verse 24, Jesus says, He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. What's the short answer to the question, where did Jesus get his authority? He got his authority from God. And the people viewed his preaching and teaching as preaching and teaching with authority because he spoke the words of God. The very words of God. Why do we put such a strong emphasis on preaching and teaching the Bible here at this church? Why is it that every time you come to this church on the weekend, you're going to hear the Bible read, the Bible explained, the Bible illustrated, and the Bible applied to your life at least on some level every single time? Because you know what? Preachers aren't storytellers. Preachers are people who speak the words and the commands of God. Well, we put that emphasis on the Bible because we believe the Bible is the word of God and the only authority for life and living. And it's that authority that is so important because one of the strongest dividing points between believers and unbelievers is a fundamental disagreement about authority. Think of it like this. All our beliefs, all of our convictions, all our reasoning are controlled by two presumptions. The authority of human wisdom, and I might add human emotion, which impacts human wisdom, or the authority of divine revelation. And my belief is that God is the authority for all things and that he has spoken to us about all of those things in one book, which is the Bible. That's what I believe, and that's what my convictions come from. Because, friends, I hope you know this. The Bible is no ordinary book. It was written by the Holy Spirit over a period of about 1,500 years using 40 different human authors from 13 different countries who lived on three different continents. And yet, with all that diversity, the Bible comes together with one central message and theme. 
Those 40 different human writers were doctors, they were fishermen, they were shepherds, they were soldiers, they were princes, they were king, they, kings, they were rich, they were poor, they were educated, they were uneducated, and you can go on and on and on. And yet, they wrote this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that has this perfect unity as it covers the origin of the universe, the creation of man, the beginning of sin, divine principles of government, the rise and history of Israel, the incarnation of Christ, God becoming a man in the world, the institution of the church, and ultimately the evangelization of the world. And in all of that message, in all of those things that are conveyed in the Bible, there is beyond that one central theme from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, and that central theme is Jesus and the redemption of the world. In fact, you can see Jesus in every single book of the Bible, every book. In Genesis, he is the seed of woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the high priest. In Numbers, he is the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet under one like Moses. In Joshua, he is the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he is our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he was our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he is the rebuilder of the broken down walls of human life. In Esther, he is our advocate. In Job, he is our ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he is our shepherd. And on and on and on. It's not just the Old Testament. You see him in every book of the New Testament as well. In Matthew, he is God with us. In Mark, he is the son of God. In Luke, he is the son of man. In John, he is the bread of life. In Acts, he is the savior of the world. In Romans, he is the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, he is the resurrection. In 2 Corinthians, he is the triumphant one. In Galatians, he is our liberty. In Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is joy. In Colossians, he is completeness. In 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he is hope. In 1 Timothy, he is faith. In 2 Timothy, he is stability. In Philemon, he is our benefactor. In Titus, he is truth. In Hebrews, he is perfection. In James, he is the power behind our faith. In 1 Peter, he is our example. In 2 Peter, he is our purity. In John, he is our life. Or 1 John, he is our life. In 2 John, he is our pattern. In 3 John, he is our motivation. In Jude, he is the foundation of our faith. And in Revelation, he is our coming king. In every single book, you see the handprint of Jesus. The Bible is no ordinary book. It is the revelation of God to man. And so I'll go back once again to my question. Do I believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God for all matters of life and living? This is what matters when it comes to the questions of life. This is what matters when it comes to the questions that create such strong emotional responses and divide people today. This is what matters when it comes to morality. 
This is what matters when it comes to right and wrong. So let me just give you two truths. This is the closest thing I have to any kind of an outline for you this weekend. The first truth is this. There's no new strategy to discredit God's word. There's no new strategy today. There's no new strategy being offered by anyone anywhere to discredit the truthfulness of the word of God. The strategy that's being used today is the same strategy that was used in the very beginning of time. You go back to Genesis chapter 2 and you see that after God created Adam, he put him in the Garden of Eden with these instructions. Maybe I should say with this command. It's Genesis chapter 2 verses 16 and 17. God said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, you fast forward to Genesis chapter 3. And now, Adam is not alone. Because toward the end of Genesis chapter 2, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Do you remember that? The only, the only thing God said was not good about his creation was it was not good for man to be alone. And so God created, in my NIV Bible, it says a helper suitable for him. And we know that was Eve. And so now Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 say, Now the serpent, and let's make no mistake before we go any further, the serpent in the Garden of Eden was Satan. Make no mistake about that. It was either Satan appearing as a serpent or Satan possessing the serpent or Satan deceiving Adam and Eve into believing it was the serpent who was talking to them. But the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 is Satan. And Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now she got that partially right, but I don't remember reading anything about touching the tree. Did you hear me say anything about that when I read earlier? But she got the first part right. And here was Satan's response. You will not surely die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so from the very beginning of time, friends, Satan's plan to deceive people like you and like me was to question the authority of God's word. And he does that by simply sowing seeds of doubt about whether or not what God says is true and whether or not what God says can be trusted. There were two statements from Satan that captured that truth in that conversation, that brief conversation with Eve. The first one was this, did God really say? 
And the second one was, you will not surely die. And what Satan did was he, he gave Eve the option to doubt what God said. Adam joined her in that doubt. Together they disobeyed God. Sin entered the world. And sin entered the world because Satan led them to distrust the truthfulness of God's word. No new strategy is being used to discredit God's word today because that strategy has always worked. And so my word to you is don't make the same mistake. Do I believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God for all matters of life and living? Here's the second truth. Circumstances don't discredit God's word. Let me tell you what I mean. A few years ago, it was a Sunday morning, and I was right here, and I was preaching a message on Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, which is one of the great promises of Scripture. And I know you know these words, even if you don't recognize the reference. But in Romans 8, 28, Paul writes and says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I preached a message about that promise. I think this, the message came in a series of messages that I called Count on It. And the tagline was Trusting in the Promises of God. As soon as the service was over, and I was right down here on the floor, as soon as the service was over, a woman came straight up to me. She looked at me, and she said, I don't believe a single thing you said. Now, to be honest with you, there was a time in my life when I was younger where that would have really ticked me off, and I would have responded like somebody who was really ticked off. But I've been down this road dozens of times, friends. Dozens and dozens of times. And so I just began to talk to her. We had a conversation where she did most of the talking. And after a while, I began to understand where she was coming from. It wasn't that she didn't believe in God. And it wasn't that she didn't believe the Bible was the word of God. Her problem was that she could not reconcile the words of Romans 8.28 with the experience of her life because there was such a huge disappointment in her life that she didn't think it could ever be worked out in any way, shape, or form for the good, not even by God. And I know this is where believing and trusting the truth of God's word gets difficult for many people. Let's just be really honest with each other for a few minutes. Because I've been there. I've lived through circumstances in my life where it was really difficult for me to reconcile the circumstance with this promise or that promise from God because the circumstance was so difficult or it was so difficult to understand the circumstance. And I've had these kinds of question, uh, conversations with people 
over the years dozens of times, there will be times in our lives when things will be so bad or so disappointing or so painful or so debilitating that the circumstance can cause us to doubt and sometimes even to disobey God's word because we feel like we can't reconcile what God tells us in his word with what we're experiencing, with the pain and the difficulty and the struggle in our life in the moment. But we have to always choose to believe in the authority of the Bible. Three different times in the Bible, it says that God cannot lie. Three different times. Here's a quote on the screen that really resonates with this truth, with this point from a preacher named Matt Chandler in Texas. He said, if you're not confident in the authority of the scriptures, you will be a slave to whatever sounds right. And isn't that the reality of what we're living in in our world today? Isn't that what happened to Eve in Genesis chapter 3? Satan said when she, when she told him what God's instructions were and that if they ate the, the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that they would die. And Satan said, you will not surely die. And then he went on and he, he exacerbated the lie by saying, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. And that sounded right to her. Yeah, God is holding out on me. Yeah, there's more to life than what he's allowing me to live. And somehow he's holding me back and keeping me down. She distrusted God's word and the rest is history. But when it comes to the questions of life, including all the questions being asked today about sexual morality, including sex outside of marriage, same-sex attraction, gender confusion, and on and on, my best answer is to believe and obey the truth of God's word because the God who created all of us is the God who knows what's best for us. And please understand me. I say that from a humble heart because I know how difficult life can sometimes be for people in this world who deal with struggles and issues that I don't deal with and that I don't fully understand. But this one thing I do know, the Bible is the authoritative word of God for all matters of life and living. I'm going to put some book titles up on the screen that I recommend to people who are struggling with believing in the authority of the Bible and other issues that uh, are relevant in our culture today. The first one is a book called Seven Reasons Why You Can Trust the Bible by a man named Erwin Lutzer. I would recommend that to anyone. If somebody wants to understand how they can better have confidence in God's word, then I would recommend that book. The second is What Does the Bible Really Teach About Homosexuality, written by a man named Kevin DeYoung, which is the best book I've ever read on the issue from a biblical perspective. The third book is, What Does the Bible Teach About Transgenderism? 
by Owen Strahan and Gavin Peacock, which is a book that I just finished reading. Very, very eye-opening. And then finally, another book by Erwin Lutzer called We Will Not Be Silent, which is a book that talks to people like you and me, believers like you and me, on how we are to live in this present world. In that book, We Will Not Be Silent, and we'll just hopefully leave that screen up there for a little while so you can write that down if you want to. In that book, We Will Not Be Silent, and this is how we'll close. Cody and Trisha can come with the band. Erwin Lutzer recounts a story from Alistair Begg. I don't know if you know who Alistair Begg is, but he's a pastor. He's on, he's on Moody Radio every week uh, during the day. Great preacher. He, he, he recounts a story from Alistair Begg about how one day he was driving on the expressway and he remarked to his wife that the sun was going down in the wrong direction. And for a moment, he was really confused and he didn't know how to interpret what he was seeing until he realized that he had made a mistake and missed a turn on the expressway and he was headed in a wrong direction. So the sun wasn't really going down in the wrong direction. He was going down in the wrong direction. And here's the application I would draw from that as we close. We live in a world today where many people, including people who live with faith in Christ, will often use their own judgment as their point of reference for the direction of their lives. But when that judgment is counter to what God says, it will always lead to the wrong destination. Even if it feels like, if it feels like you're going the right way, you're still on the wrong road. I love these words from Isaiah 40 and verse 8. Would you read them with me? And this is how we'll close our message. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands for. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Thank you that we have that as an anchor and a guide and our only source for life and living. And my simple prayer would, that, would be that we would genuinely be people of the book. Not just on Sundays, but every single day of the week. Help us to trust your word. To recognize the lies of an enemy who wants to destroy our souls. And to trust your word. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing one final song. And if you're a prayer counselor, would you come on down front right now so that you can be clearly seen? If you've got some uh, kind of a burden or need in your life uh, in, the, in this service or, or you've got somebody that you're concerned about, would you just come down and let somebody pray with you before you leave? Uh, just let somebody help you. Draw near to God if that's the burden of your heart.